I share the Word of God, I want to share with you this morning a message called Finding Hope. This really is the core message that Greta and I carry. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I believe that's very prophetic for where the world is at right now. There's darkness out there. There's a lot of shaking and uncertainty and fear and anxiety and increasing despair. People are saying the world's problems are so great. We've got uh, terrorism and, and Middle Eastern uprisings and European economic troubles and global recession and, and moral collapse and failure and governments not knowing what to do. And the world is actually in a desperate, desperate place right now. And there's an increasing sense of hopelessness and despair. And people will do one of two things when they feel despair. They'll either jump into all the addictive behaviors that will um, just kind of make them forget their pain or they'll be searching what are the answers. And I believe the church has got the answers because we know who Jesus is. And he is the answer for the world's problems. And I think a time is coming now where genuine Christians that are shining the light of Jesus will be increasingly asked by people, what is it that's in your life that makes you confident, even in the midst of terrible situations, that you seem to have something about you? I remember when we built our house back in 2004 and it came to the landscaping and the landscape designer said, I think it would be great if you put in some garden lighting. And I kind of vacillated because we'd already spent a lot of money, but finally she said, look, you won't regret it if you do. So we put in the garden lighting. The day came where the electrician came and he wired up all the lights and uh, I couldn't wait to turn them on. So it was two o'clock in the afternoon, I switched them on. And I had to go right up to the spotlights and say, is that one working? Yes, it is. And I had to go right close to see if they were even going. And so when it came nighttime that same day, pitch black, I turned them on again. Well, this time, what a beautiful display. There's a spotlight on a water feature and one on a tree and one on a garden sculpture and a couple of downlights on the lawn. It just looked magnificent. And the point of that story is garden lighting works best at night. Okay? And hope shines best in the darkness. When the world's happy and everything's going great, people don't want to know. People don't notice people of hope because their lives are full and blessed. But when darkness has come upon the face of the world, when there aren't answers, people will notice others who have hope like garden lighting in the nighttime. And they'll want to know. Romans 15:13 says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, hope is not just wishful thinking and optimistic outlook. Hope is supernatural in the Christian life. It is produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that is the spirit of hope and we're meant to overflow with it. In other words, not just have enough for you to get by in a troubled world, but an overflow so that others around you who don't have the answers you and I do will be able to drink from our lives that overflow of hope. You say, what is hope? We use it very, very loosely today, that word. We say things like, I hope it doesn't rain when we have our camp in a fortnight. I hope uh, we get the job, you know, I hope I get the job that I had the interview for. Uh, I hope we have a nice holiday. We use it like wishful thinking. 
But biblical hope, when you study the Greek and Hebrew words, is very, very different. And it means a confident and patient expectation of future good. A confident and patient expectation of good. It's like waiting at an airport. And you've got a loved one you haven't seen for a year or two. And they're coming in on the next flight. And you're there and you're excited and you're joyful. And you're, you're looking forward to seeing them. And then the announcer comes over and says, I'm sorry that flight such and such is delayed and will not be arriving for another two hours. And you go, oh no. But it doesn't matter because you're so joyful and anticipatory. You say, well, we'll just have a coffee. We'll wait. And, and so it's confident and patient expectation of good, even when it seems like there's delays in the promise coming. G.K. Chesterton said, hope is the power of being cheerful in circumstances which we know to be desperate. Now, I haven't got a lot of time to talk about what hope really is, so I wrote a book and I brought a few copies. There are a few copies down there. This is called Hope, Finding the Gateway to a Better Future. And if you want to know anything about hope, well, not, I can't say, I can't overclaim here, not anything, but if you want to know a lot about hope... Uh, there's some great stories and great teaching in this book and I trust that you'll, you'll get a hold of one. I based it on the scripture in Hosea 2 verse 15, which I'll talk about in a moment. It says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And uh, a lot of Christians don't understand the processes that God uses to create hope in us. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us. And so, you know, there's many ways God will produce hope. The Word of God gives hope. The Holy Spirit does. Uh, prophetic words and messages that come to us do. But one of the main ways that God will use to produce hope in us is trouble, adversity, and suffering. And that sounds a paradox, but that's, it's very true. And if we can throw that scripture up on the screen, guys, Hosea 2.15, I will make the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. A lot of people get into a valley of trouble in their life. And if you're not there this morning, cheer up, yours is coming. Because that's life. You will not be left out. A lot of people get into a valley of trouble at different times in their lives. And we are meant to find the gateway of hope out of it. But a lot of people get stuck there. They never find the gateway of hope out. They get disillusioned. They get disappointed. They get a bit cynical. They get a bit offended at God. And they, they, they camp in the horrible place of the valley of trouble. And before they know it, their dreams are dead. Their hopes are dead. And they, at the valley of trouble becomes like the valley of dry bones where Ezekiel saw just a bunch of skeletons scattered all over the valley floor. But even those can live. Because Ezekiel prophesied to them, they came alive. But it's far better to find the gateway of hope out of your valley of trouble than for it to become a valley of dead, dry bones. That's why I wrote this book. Because I felt like people needed to know how to find the gateways of hope in their valleys of trouble. And so there's a whole lot of stuff there. I'd like to give that one away if someone would like it. You just, yeah, come sir. The early bird gets the worm, I guess. There you go. Enjoy. And uh, how many would have really liked to have received that book free? Just let me see your hands. Yeah, just go and buy one at the end and you'll be, you'll be right. <laughs> you know, we, uh, 
I went to Hillsong a few years ago. Uh, my first wife, Jane, who passed away a few years ago, uh, and she was in a wheelchair, so we, um, we had to go early through the crowd of 30,000 or so. So we got there early one morning, and we were going to the, where the disability section was, and I came in, parked a wheelchair, and sat next to her. And a couple of minutes later, I heard the sound of an electric wheelchair coming down the corridor. And it was a young man, and he just came around, and he parked his wheelchair a few spaces over. And as I looked at him, to my amazement, I saw that he had no arms or legs. All he had was half a foot that was sticking out the bottom of his torso on the right-hand side. And with that, he controlled his wheelchair. So I look at him, I go over and said, hi, I'm David, I'm from New Zealand. He said, hi, I'm Nick, I'm from Sydney. And we just got chatting and I said, Nick, what do you do? And he said, I'm a motivational speaker. He said, I travel all over the world and I speak to businesses and churches and uh, school groups and uh, I'm going, wow, he's a motivational speaker. And I found out that he was just born like that. His mum never took any drugs. He just didn't form properly in the womb and he was born, literally born into a valley of trouble. And I'm going, wow, that guy, he's a motivational speaker. And I thought, there's a man who's found the gateway of hope in his valley of trouble. He's found a better future. He hasn't let that stop him. He hasn't let that make him bitter and twisted and offended at God. He's serving God and loving God. And I look around the room today and I don't see any of us here with no arms and legs. So that tells me your problems and my problems can't be as great as Nick's. And yet Nick had found the gateway of hope in his valley of trouble and so can you and I. Last time I saw Nick, he was preaching on Robert Shuler's Hour of Power to millions of people all over the world. I know he runs evangelistic crusades um, in Asia and other places. Last count, I think he's led 200,000 people to Christ. That's amazing. That's finding a gateway of hope in a valley of trouble, don't you think? The world today, because it's embraced secular humanism and atheism and naturalism, is bringing despair and emptiness to people people are adrift in a sea of relativism there's no absolutes there's no values they need an anchor and the bible says that hope is an anchor for our souls and the world's in a deep valley of trouble today and i believe the church has the keys to the gateways of hope for the world to walk through out of their valleys of trouble i mentioned a moment ago that my first wife jane uh, was spent time in a wheelchair. She had multiple sclerosis. She was healthy when we were married. And about six years into our marriage, the disease kicked in. And uh, about nine years later, she started to use a wheelchair for the first time. And uh, she spent the next 21 years in a wheelchair. And I prayed for healing for many years. And I remember when we were first married and uh, about a month after we were married, this was early 1977, and I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw my wife and I traveling to the nations of the world and preaching the Word of God. And then I guess over the years, as she got worse and confined to the wheelchair, I thought that dream might have been my imagination. Uh, it certainly looks so impossible. The only way it could happen, Lord, is if you raised her up. So I prayed for healing. And healing never came. And uh, I remember... Uh, early 2000s, just meditating on the whole thing. And, and I just said to the Lord, Lord, you know, I feel like the proverb that says hope deferred makes the heart sick. I said, that's how I'm feeling. 
uh, prayed for this miracle. It's never come. Jane's getting seems to be getting worse. That crazy dream about us traveling to the nations, it's kind of like mocking us. And I was just pouring out my heart to God, which is quite legitimate to do. Just read the Psalms and you'll see there's people that did that. And God so lovingly just said to me, yeah, but son, you've forgotten the second part of the proverb. And it says, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And then he said this to me. He said, I'm going to change the season over your life. You've been in a season of hope deferred. I'm now going to shift you into a season of desire fulfilled. And he said, not only that, many of my people have been in this season of hope deferred. I'm going to change the season for them to one of desire fulfilled. And I go, wow, well, perhaps now this dream of her being healed will happen and we'll get to go to the nations. And, and, and a couple more years rolled by and Jane seemed to get worse until 2007. Her breathing and her swallowing started to be affected by the disease. I remember she woke up one day struggling for breath. And I went straight off to the dock and he gave me some medication, said, I'll be around to see her later in the day. And I began to fast and pray and said, Lord, if we ever needed a miracle, it's now. Turned out later on we found she had pneumonia. And uh, wherever we needed a miracle, I went and I prayed for a miracle of healing. And then I went to pray in the afternoon for healing again. And the Holy Spirit stopped me and he said to me, would you let her go? And I had to really think about that. I didn't know whether that was one of those kind of trick questions. You know, Abraham puts Isaac on the altar but gets him back. And, you know, Bill Johnson says one of the God's names is Jehovah Sneaky. So I, I, uh, I, did, I didn't know whether it was one of them or if God was being really serious, I felt like I needed to think about that. And it took me about 10 minutes and I just came and said, Lord, whatever you want, that's okay. I'll give it to you whether it's to heal or take her home. A couple of minutes later, the phone rings. It's a good friend of mine. He said, uh, how's Jane? I said, not doing well. He said, I've been praying. I think God wants you to let her go. And uh, so I prayed again, and two or three hours later, she stopped breathing. The paramedics came. They tried to revive her. They couldn't. She passed away. I remember going down to the bedroom where her body was laying on the bed and heartbroken and said my goodbyes. And... I just put my hand on her head and I said, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I will not be offended. I will not get bitter. I don't understand why you didn't heal her. Uh, that's co- that's one, you know, one day, Lord, I'll know in full. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we know in part, one day we'll fully know. And the gap between knowing in part and knowing in full is called mystery. And I said, Lord, I'm happy to live with the mystery of it. And Lord, I also make a vow that I'll not stop praying for sick people. In fact, I promise you that I'll train an army of others to pray for the sick. And that's what we do in the School of the Supernatural. And we saw a whole lot of people stand up the front here yesterday testifying to healing. And that was cool. And so that was a dark time. We had the funeral. And a week after the funeral was the darkest time of my life. I just felt like in a black hole. It's like the valley of trouble had become the valley of the shadow of death and it was just dark in there and I remember crying out to God one Friday night saying, God, this is so dark, this is so painful. I don't know how to get through this. Would you help me? 
And about five minutes later, my cell phone beeps. It's a text message from a friend. And I knew his wife was having an operation that day. And she, he just texts me saying, she's through the operation. She's seen Jane phone me. And I'm looking at this text thinking, what, is, what does she mean? Jane's been dead about two weeks. What? And I rang him. I said, what do you mean? And uh, he said, well, under the anesthetic, her spirit went into heaven. And she saw Jane. And he told me, and I went to see her the next week. I said, what did you see? Uh, she said, well, she said, I was expecting to see someone important like Jesus, Paul, or Moses, but I saw Jay. And uh, I got okay. I said, what did she look like? And, uh, and she said, she looked young again. She was standing up. She hadn't stood for 21 years. She had her hands up praising God. She hadn't been able to raise her hands for about 10 years. And she was smiling, and she saw me. And she walked over to me and she just smiled and said, I'm home. And I felt the most incredible love like I've never felt on earth. It reminded me that heaven is a place of perfect love. And over the, that, that vision gave me a glimmer of light. And at that moment, the gateway of hope in my valley of trouble creaked open a little. And a little bit of light came in. And over the next months, God did supernatural things. He took me to the scriptures that say to live as Christ, to die as gain. To depart and be with Jesus is better by far. And when you come to, that's in Philippians 1 and Hebrews 12:23. When you come to heaven, you come to the spirits of redeemed people made perfect. And I figured that Jane had gained, she was better by far, and she was now a perfected spirit gazing on the face of God. And I thought that's a whole lot better than being healed out of a wheelchair on earth. And I said, hallelujah, Lord. And my heart began to be healed. He also graciously gave me some supernatural visions and allowed me to see into heaven. And I saw a whole lot of things about the city of God. I saw her and other people. I saw the mansion where she lived. Over a period of months, God did those things. And so very quickly and very supernaturally, by about the five-month mark, I, my heart was healed. Now that is supernatural. Anyone who's faced grief, you'll know it can, take, uh, it can take six months to three, four years to get through grief. And God did a supernatural thing in my heart to the point that I took my wedding ring off and I thought, well, Lord, one day I'll get married again and um, it's not good for man to dwell alone. And uh, I figured that'll happen and I just commit it to you. And when you want that to happen, then let it happen. And the only thing that did happen was I was reading in Genesis one day about how Jacob meets Rachel. And, and uh, it just says in Genesis that uh, she was beautiful in every way with a lovely face and shapely figure. So I said, Lord, I'd have one of those, please. <laughs> I put my order in uh, for a Rachel. And that was cool. And about a month or so later, I was getting into bed one night and I had a vision of a woman come three times to me in the night. Absolutely saw her clearly, uh, what she looked like, the color of her hair, facial features, what she was wearing. And I thought, oh, well, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, I pondered it. I went overseas on a trip with my youngest son and we were away for six weeks. And as we're flying back into New Zealand, about to touch down in Auckland, I say, Lord... You said to me you were changing the season in my life to one of, from one of hope deferred to desire fulfilled. I declare as this plane touches down, I'm in a new season of desire fulfilled. And I said, Lord, part of that is meeting someone else, but I'm not going looking. You bring her to me. I figured if God could bring Eve to Adam, he could bring someone to me. It would save me a lot of time 
uh, and wasted effort, all right? So about five days after returning, I go off to our church to do a lecture at our Bible college. And the dean comes up to me and he says, I'm so sorry. I said, what have you done? He said, I have a letter for you. But it came three months ago. I meant to give it to you before you went overseas, but it got lost in my files. He said, I don't understand. Those are files I use every day, and I just never saw the thing till uh, a few days ago, and here it is. So I do the lecture, and I go out to my car, and I'm intrigued, so I read the letter. And it's from Greta. We'd never met before in our lives. One of the sermons I'd preached a couple of months after Jane died was called Blessed Be Your Name, based on that Matt Redmond song. Uh, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And I had that sung at Jane's funeral. And I sent a copy of a DVD of the message to my son in Australia for him to look at. And he said, Dad, I think we should put that on your website. I said, no, don't do that. It's too private and personal. Dad, I think we should put it on. It'll be a blessing to people. Well, I said, change the title. Call it turning your losses to gain. He said, no, Dad, I think we should leave the title as it is. Now, you know you're getting old when your kids boss you around. So, so I said, all right, put it on, put it on. Now, two months after Jane passed away, Greta's husband, Ron, they'd been married 28 years. He had a heart attack and collapsed. Suddenly, healthy man, fit and athletic. And uh, he was in a coma and and, and Greta had to really do the same thing and say, you know, I just release him to God. And a few hours later, he passed away on the Sunday, a couple of days later. And uh, one of the songs that Greta sung all through the next weeks was Blessed Be Your Name, had it played at Ron's funeral. And so that was very real. And she, a physiotherapist, and one of her patients was discussing with her the particular church that I belonged to at the time. And so she did a web search just to check us out. She hadn't heard too much about us, that we weren't some strange cult or something like that. And she ended up accidentally on my website because there was a link. And there she saw the title, Blessed Be Your Name. She said, I've got to look at that. And so she looked at the message and it confirmed so much of what God had been saying to her to the point that she felt she just wanted to write a letter saying thank you. And she posted the letter off, and I get it three months later. And that was the hand of God. Because if it had come at the time, we would not have been ready for what God was about to do next. And what God was about to do next was I just fired back an email saying thank you for your letter. I only now received it. How are you doing? And we just started exchanging emails. And I kind of like by about the seventh or eighth day of receiving emails I'm going like I can't wait to power up the computer and see if I've got mail and uh, from this lady I'd never met but who I was really really starting to go wow she's pretty cool and uh, and so a couple of weeks into it I emailed her and said look you've seen me and Jane on our website but I have no idea what you and Ron look like I didn't care what Ron looked like I <laughs> I said, could you please send me a photo of you both? I mean, I had to code it somehow, disguise such an upfront request. So she sends me this photograph and I've got the mouse pointer poised over it and I click it open and I'm stunned because she's the woman in the vision. 
And they go, okay, Lord, there's something going on here. And just over the, just over the progressive months, we decided a few weeks later to meet. And, um, and then God had been speaking to the both of us about how he called us together. And so within really, uh, I, I guess, six weeks of receiving Greta's letter, we were talking about marriage. And uh, four months later, we were married. Now, I want to say to the young people, don't try that at home, okay? <laughs> that, that's supernaturally quick. I was married 30 years, Greta 28, so we, got, hey, we had 58 years of marriage experience between us. I think God could trust us with a really fast work. And I did say to Greta, you know, what was it out of that message that really blessed you? Was it my boyish good look? She said, no, I didn't even notice you. It was the message. I got, oh, slightly deflated. But anyway, God brought us together and we were married at the, uh, towards the end of 2008 and the beginning of 2009, we stepped out into full-time itinerant ministry together and now Greta and I are traveling to the nations of the world preaching the Word of God. And it took... Yeah, I'll give him a hand. It took 32 years for a dream to begin to be fulfilled. And I thought it was dead. I thought it was gone. If it's of God, it'll always live. doesn't matter how long it takes. You have a dream, a prophetic promise, a hope, a desire of your heart. And it may not have come to pass and perhaps months or years have rolled by. Don't give up. Keep trusting God. He has a way of making these things happen. And in Zechariah 9 verse 12 it says this, Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners, for there is yet hope. I promise this very day that I will repay you two mercies for each of your woes. Or one version of the Bible says double, a double portion. Two mercies for each of your woes. Greta and I could stand here and testify this morning that God truly is a good God and what He does is good and that whatever woe you're going through, whatever trouble you're going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, if you trust God in your valley of trouble, I want to tell you, you'll come out the gateway of hope and there will be a double portion of blessing awaiting for God's children that have walked in integrity and kept loving Him in the midst midst of trouble, in the midst of perplexing questions, in the midst of distressing situations that you seem to have no answer for and that it scream at you that God somehow doesn't care because the God of goodness never changes. And we've got to learn to handle situations that may conflict with the character of God, but God is always faithful and when He says, I'll give you two mercies for each of your woes, He really means it. We're having such fun now. We just love being together. We're together all the time. I mean, some husbands and wives couldn't stand that. We work from home together. She's got an office. I've got an office. We travel together. We run together. We do everything together, and we just love it. I know some of you are struggling with that right now. I can see. I can see. But that, that's just the depth of, of the grace that God has given us. And, you know, one day we're going to uh, join Ron and Jane in heaven. And we know that they're in the cloud of witnesses smiling at us saying, come on, run your race, run your race. And so we're, we're running for them. And we're so glad there's no marriage in heaven because when we turn up, that could be very confusing for the four of us. Is that right? There's no marriage in heaven. Sure, that, 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 create, that just saves a lot of stress. I mean, would I spend half eternity with Jane and half with Greta? How would that work otherwise? 
Love in heaven is far beyond even marriage on earth, let me tell you. I'll close with this story. Um, I have a friend and she had her father served in the um, New Zealand division in North Africa in World War II. And uh, he was a colonel, so he, he commanded a lot of men. And they were fighting Rommel's Africa Corps uh, in, the, in the northern deserts of uh, Africa. And uh, he and a bunch of his men were captured. And this was early, um, I think it was um, maybe early 41, late 40, I'm not sure of the exact date. But it was certainly before Japan had bombed Pearl Harbor, so the Americans weren't in the war. And it was before Hitler had attacked Russia, so the Russians weren't in the war. So effectively Britain and the Commonwealth countries stood alone against Nazi Germany and Italy. And they weren't doing too well, except for the Battle of Britain where... Uh, they'd saved an invasion of England, but in the Western Desert they were losing a lot of battles and in Europe they were losing a lot of ground. They'd been kicked out of Greece and, and, um, and Cyprus. And so it wasn't looking good. So you're in this prisoner of war camp and you go, wow, the Germans seem to be winning. We don't know how long we're going to be here. We, we could be years here and German propaganda wouldn't have added. So those guys didn't know the war was going to be won in 1945. They probably assumed we don't know how long we're going to get here. And sometimes men died because of sickness. But the colonel said to his daughter, my friend, he said, you know, the worst thing was when my men lost hope. I could see the light go out of their eyes. And it wasn't too long before I saw that look in their eyes that they'd be dead. They'd just literally give up the will to live. Every so often, Red Cross parcels made it into the prisoner of war camp and in it was Swiss chocolate. A lot of the guys just ate theirs. The colonel saved his and hid it. Whenever one of his men got that look of lost hope, He'd go to his secret stash of chocolate and he'd break off one square. Put it in his pocket and go and talk to the guy. Get chatting and say, how are you doing? And then in the midst of the conversation, he'd reach into his pocket and he'd pull out this one square of chocolate and he'd give it to the man. The soldier would put the chocolate in his mouth and somehow the taste of chocolate, the taste of a free world was enough to distill hope in the guy again. And he said, time and time again when I did that, I saw the light come back in their eyes. I saw hope come again. And dozens of men were saved from death through single squares of chocolate. His daughter said it was funny when he came home from the war for the rest of his life, he always walked around with a piece of chocolate, one square of chocolate in his pocket to pull out and give to the kids or whatever. A piece of chocolate saved a person's life. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is, if you don't believe He's a good God, you'll never have hope. Hope is predicated on a belief that God is good no matter what happens. The year Jane went into a wheelchair, I had cancer. I had a nine-month battle with cancer. God brought me out. I've been free ever since. But that was a heavy year. And I learned in that year, I said, God, why? And he just showed me Psalm 119, verse 68. And it got etched into my spirit. And it says, you are good and what you do is good. When you believe God is a good God, no matter what, you've got a chocolate supply. And you're not meant to eat the chocolate for yourself. You're meant to have some for yourself, but you're meant to save the rest 
to break off a piece here and a piece there and give it to your unsaved friends and family members and workmates and schoolmates when they don't have any hope, you're meant to give your chocolate away. And I want to say to you, Rock Church, be a chocolate-loving church, but don't eat it all yourselves. Give it away. The chocolate is called hope and the belief in the goodness of God. That's the sweetness of the message that the world needs to hear today when all they're getting from the news headlines, the newspapers, the radio reports, the internet is the world is a terrible place and people are doing terrible things. There's not a lot of sweetness and hope out there. But you and I carry that. And the more we focus on Jesus and the more we walk with Him, the more, the sweeter our soul will become and we'll be able to be contagious with hope. Bill Hybel says this, lost people can still be found and sick people can still be healed. The world is asking today, is this how it will all end? Is there no hope? Will war and poverty and violence increase and keep on increasing? No, he says, Christians of all people must traffic in the commodity called hope. We're the only ones on the earth who have it. So don't let the devil steal it from you because we're meant to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have seen a lot of adversity in my life, but I want to stand here and tell you without any doubt, God is good and what He does is good. And that if you will trust Him in your valley of trouble, your valley of the shadow of death, or your valley of weeping, if you'll keep trusting Him, He'll turn that valley of trouble to a gateway of hope. He'll turn that valley of the shadow of death into a place of feasting. And He'll turn the valley of weeping into a place of springs. That's what the Word of God says. And that's what God wants to do for your life. We're going to pray in a moment a release of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that He will minister hope into our lives. For those of you here today that have a deficit of hope and you actually need God to impart afresh into your life a fresh measure of hope, that there are times we do despair like I did and there are times where the Lord just needs to come and minister hope afresh into our lives. And certainly we'll be praying that there'll be an overflow of hope in us all so that when we go out into our world today and tomorrow, we will carry the hope that Jesus is, Christ in us, the hope of glory. doesn't matter how bad this world gets, we know He's on His throne, He's in control, He's coming again, He's going to sort it all out. That's the faith that we have. But before the musician, well, the musicians can come now, before we perhaps sing something and pray over you, I want to just talk to you in case you may not have yet met Jesus Christ. He is the reason for the hope. The Bible says this. It says, As many that receive Him and who believe in Jesus, He gives them power to become children of God. There is no hope apart from Jesus because we've all been tainted with sin and the wrong things that we've done. And that separates us from God. You can't have God's love and hope and presence and power in your life when there's a big wall of separation between you and God. So that wall of separation has to be removed. And the only way it can be removed is that Jesus died on a cross to take the punishment of your sin and mine on himself so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life and hope in this world. And that's why Jesus died for you. 
And a lot of people don't understand. They think, oh, it's a story about a man dying on a cross. Well, he rose from the dead and he's coming back again. One day we'll all stand before God to be judged for what we've done. And those that have received God's forgiveness through Jesus, their sins are washed away. The Bible says they don't come into a judgment of punishment, only a judgment of reward to determine how great our reward will be because Jesus took all the punishment on himself. Those who don't have Jesus, the Bible says, are without eternal life. And that judgment will be a judgment where they are rejected from God's presence. But God doesn't want that to happen to anyone because he's a God of such incredible love. And so he extends an invitation to people through Jesus that if they receive him, they can become children of God. And I'd love to pray a simple prayer right now that would allow anyone here today to give your life to Jesus. Or maybe once you walked with God years ago, but today you know you no longer walk with God at all and you need to come back to Him. I'd love to include you in the prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud. Would you pray it silently? God who knows our every thought, He'll hear your silent prayer. And if you mean that with all your heart, God will answer it. So here we go. If you need to give your life to Jesus or come back to Him, would you pray this silently in your heart after me right now. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. And I ask you to save me. Forgive me all my sins and every wrong thing I've ever done. Forgive me for keeping you out of my life. I now open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life and live within me. Jesus, I now receive your life and I give my life to you. Help me live for you for all my days. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Amen. While we're still praying, if you prayed that simple prayer, giving your life to Jesus or coming back to him, as I just look around the room, could you just quickly raise your hand if that was you? Just raise it up as an acknowledgement that that's what you did. You prayed that prayer. Just lift it high and when I see it, I'll acknowledge it and you can put it down. Is there anyone today you prayed here? God bless you down the back. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you right down the back there on my left and over here. God bless you too. Anyone else? You prayed that simple prayer, giving your lives to Jesus or coming back to him. Just want to scan the room. Don't be embarrassed to acknowledge this, but... It's an it's important thing. Just lift your hand right now. So look around one more time. If I missed you, just wave it at me. All right, amen. Can we stand? Hey, those that raised their hands, Greta and I would love to pray for you at the end of the meeting. And could you be good enough at the end when people are kind of going to come up the front? We'd love to meet you. We'd love to pray for you and just really ask God to cement and seal that decision that you've made. Guys, what are we going to sing? Yep, we're going to sing something, then we'll come back and pray, and then the meeting will be over.